Well, it is free agency season in the National Football League. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but it means a lot to teams and players uh, because players are getting these contracts for multi-millions of dollars. Uh, and some of them are getting traded, and so that means uprooting your family and going somewhere where you maybe really don't want to go. But my team... Cleveland Browns paid $230 million, $230 million for one player. And all of that is guaranteed. It's a five-year contract. Now, I figured out that what I made as a pastor, it would take me 4,600 years to make that. Okay, now hopefully I'd get some raises along the way, you know, maybe... 500 years from now, I'd get a raise and another one, you know, 500 years after that. But it's ridiculous. You know, I think about um, players that played like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and they got to be thinking, boy, I wish I was playing now. Uh, because I remember when Joe Namath signed a contract for $400,000 and everybody thought, oh, that's just unbelievable. You know, nobody can make that kind of money playing a game. Well, I have no idea if this player that the Browns signed is a Christian or not, but um, hopefully he is. And hopefully wherever it is that he starts to go to church in the Cleveland area, uh, the pastor preaches a lot on tithing, okay, and uh, to get this guy to write some big checks for the church. Uh I was looking up the, the 10 poorest countries in the world um, are in Africa. And this gentleman that they signed is an Afro-American. And so, yeah, I wonder how much the money that he's going to be making is he sending there to take care of those that are his roots. Uh, and, you know, not just him. You know, and the same with somebody that's white uh, that maybe grew up in the not such a good part of town somewhere here in America. And, you know, are they helping out back there? I know a lot of the players do. You know, I can't fault them. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of them that really, really don't care, you know, rather than um, help out somebody that has a real financial need. They... They'd rather go get, you know, another Maserati or buy another house or whatever it might be. But I, I know there's a lot of people that come to the U.S. Uh, from other countries and they just come to, to make money and send the money back. I know when we were in Jamaica, uh, the mission house that we would stay in, the neighbor, uh, he had gone to... England for many years as a musician and made a lot of money. And then when he got ready to retire, he went back to Jamaica and built himself a big house and was able to live very comfortably, uh, much better than if he had been a musician in Jamaica. But enough of that. So let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you meet our needs, just like you say you will. And Lord, help us to... Um, Pray for those that that are being blessed financially in, in big ways, that they will 
um, be good stewards of what they receive and that they will help out those that that have a real need and make a difference in the, the communities they live in or they came from and that um, that you can use them in that way. But Father, we, we look at your word to see what you have to say to us uh, in this message. And Father, we just put that in your hands as well um, because you are the one that that uh, guides my fingers on the keys and um, gives me the thoughts that I need to look up different scriptures or find different topics and all. So it's all up to you and your Holy Spirit. So, Father, just uh, open our eyes and our ears and our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since I'm talking about money, let me talk about money. Okay, some people think that pastors, that that's all they talk about is money. And I, I remember one Sunday that I had given a message about tithing or stewardship or whatever it was, but money-related anyways. And afterwards, one of the pillars of the church um, came up to me and said, well, you know, it was really too bad, you know, you had that message today because we had a couple of visitors here. And I'm thinking, you know, what does that have to do with anything? You know, and when you're in a little church of, you know, maybe 40, 50, 60 people, you certainly know there's a visitor there when there is one. But at the same time, um, you know, I'm not going to look out and see, you know, oh, there's a visitor. Lord, give me another message. Um, because you give what the Lord tells you to give. But God's not about money. And the church is not about money. And Jesus spoke about money a lot. He spoke about money more than he spoke about love. So does the church need money? Yeah, sure. Uh you know, you have this building that you have to maintain and the upkeep of that and uh, utilities, uh, salaries for, you know, most churches that I was in, it was just my salary. A few churches had a paid uh, organist or uh, I don't think any of them ever had a paid secretary. But, you know, materials that you need for Bible study, uh, music that you need to, to purchase. Uh, and if you are using music um, that has a copyright on it and you're making copies or using a PowerPoint or whatever it might be, uh, you know, you need to pay an annual fee on that. Uh, church has got to, you know, pay insurance, um, equipment, you know, cleaning the church, plowing the snow, mowing the grass, whatever it might be. And certainly, I hope at the top of the list is missions, that, you know, you've got money there for missions. You know, some churches do what they call having a pledge for the year. Uh, come fall, October, maybe November, they uh, ask people to pledge what it is that they're going to give in the upcoming year. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so their their budget for that upcoming year is based on their pledges. Okay, now I never did that. I have gone to churches that did do that, and I said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, the reason why is I look at it this way. Okay, let's say for using a round figure, uh, you get a million dollars in pledges. So you set your budget up on this million dollars. Well, 
during the course of the next year, some people die. Some people leave the church for whatever reason. Some people are having financial difficulties. And unfortunately, the first thing that uh, they say, you know, well, we're going to cut corners. And the first corner we're going to cut is what we give to the church. And so you only get 800000 you know, from those pledges. So where does the needed $200,000 come from? You know, I mean, you've got this stuff budgeted. And I know that, you know, you can look at your budget and say, okay, you know, we're not going to put new windows in the church this year. You know, we wanted to do that, and that was in the budget. And so we won't do that. But, you know, if you're relying on that, what are you going to do? Or if you know that you need a million dollars to operate the church next year, and you only get 800000 in pledges, so what do you do? You say, well, you know, we'll just not turn the heat up as high in the winter and we won't turn it down as low that you see in the summer. Uh, you know, maybe we can ask the organist to, to not take so much money and uh, the pastor and or maybe we can, you know, get rid of the paid choir director and, you know, my cousin Lizzie can be the choir director instead and some people would say, well, you know, we'll just cut missions. You know, we need to take care of ourselves first. Uh, you know, we can ask people to, to mow the lawn and shovel the snow and clean the church. And, and things are broken. You know, we just won't fix them. You know, we'll just kind of leave things as they are. So the church obviously needs money. Okay. But, of course, that can't be the focus of the church. But it still needs to be talked about. Why? Because giving is an act of worship. Okay, it should be as much a part of worship as the songs that we sing or, you know, the greeting time that we have or whatever it might be, uh, the prayer time. Uh, you know, it's an act of worship to be able to give to the Lord. Now, many won't agree with that statement, but you're wrong. Okay. In many churches, giving is no longer done in the offering plate or bucket, as they use at our church. Uh, that giving is done online or on an app. Uh, a lot of people set up their giving automatically. That, you know, if they get paid every other week, you know, they, they put their money in every other week automatically, whatever it might be. People like me that everything comes monthly, you know, you do it monthly. <coughs> Excuse me. But we have to do this if we want to see the church do the work that it's called to do. And so we have to give. Now, let's look at a few scriptures that talk about our giving or lack of giving. So let's start with Jesus and go to Luke chapter 20. And... I'm going to begin in verse 20. So Luke 20, 20. It says, Keeping a close watch on him, meaning Jesus, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. And that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. 
Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him. And in what he said, and they were astonished by his answer and became silent. First of all, I'm sure that Jesus knew the hearts of these spies long before that and knew that the time was going to come when they were going to try and catch him. Okay, so Jesus was prepared for whatever attacks that he knew that they would be bringing. Okay, in the United States, if we look at our money, paper money or coins, whose image and inscription are on it? Well, past presidents and leaders of our country. Caesars, if we want to call them that, are on there. Nothing has changed. And it's the same in most other countries that I've seen currency from. It's the queen or the president or the prime minister or whoever uh, has their picture on there. And so we give back to our Caesars. One way or another, we give back to our Caesars. So money is need, needed to run the government just like it is a church, and I'm not going to get into that. Okay, so let's take a look at what Paul has to say on this topic. And he has quite a bit, actually. But I'll start in Philippians 4. In verses 10 through 13, Paul is talking about his contentment with much or little, that he's learned to be able to live, you know, having everything, and he's been able to live when he had little or nothing at all. So beginning in verse 14, this is what he says. And again, this is written to the Philippian church. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more than be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, now probably we're all familiar with verse 19, where it says God will meet all your needs. Okay, most of us just know that part, but it's God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So we, we like to quote that when things get tough. We, we like to hang on to that when we've got less paycheck than we've got bills. But notice how the verse is dependent upon the verses that precede it. Okay, when we give, 
as the Lord tells us to, there's rewards, okay? Because Paul was talking about, you know, I was in Macedonia, I was in Thessalonica, and you were sending gifts to me, okay? And so they were being rewarded for what they had done and will continue to do. Okay? But we don't give in order to receive rewards. They just come if we're faithful. I remember before I went into the ministry, uh, I was, well, my wife and I were youth group leaders and I had the, the high school, Sunday school class. <clears throat> and there was this one boy that was in there, you know, 15, maybe 16 years old. And he says, boy, he says, I really need a new something. It was like a, back then, maybe it was a transistor radio. I don't know. But it was, it was something like that, whatever was popular at that time. And uh, he says, you know, so I'm going to start giving more to church so I know that I'll get more so I can get this, whatever it was that I want to get. That's not how it works, okay? Now, if he was giving, you know, with the heart that he needed to, with the Lord's heart, he would just be giving more because he had more to give. And then maybe the Lord would bless him so he would be able to get what it was that he thought that he needed. But he didn't see it that way. Well, Paul speaks to the Corinthian church on this matter more than once. Okay, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, he was just telling them in the letter about his joy over their repenting, in some areas anyways. And so then continuing in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, this is what he has to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty well up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even more than their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier been, or excuse me, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to the completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. <clears throat> Paul is good at doing the sandwich technique, okay, where he's going to tell you something good, and then he's going to give you something that, you know, you really need to work on this area. And then he's going to give you something good, okay? And so that's what he was doing with this part of the letter. Okay, what he was saying to them is the giving of the poor exceeded the giving of the rich, okay? And... 
I think sometimes that's the way it is. Okay, that can happen often that those that have less give more or a larger percentage than the affluent. Mark 12, okay, verses 41 to 44. I'm sure you're probably familiar with this. Jesus sat down opposite the place, place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, I'm not saying unless we give all, we're not giving correctly. Okay, the, the widow was putting the Lord before herself. She knew that there was work to be done, and she wanted to contribute to that work. Okay, so she was giving to see somebody else uh, come to the Lord. Okay, the message puts verses 43 and 44 this way. And this is what Jesus was speaking to the, to the disciples. He said, the truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. When we give, we need to do the same. Give our all. All that we are called to give. Okay? Not to give all, but all that we're called to give. Paul writes to the church in Corinth again about this issue. Just in the next chapter, chapter 9 of Second Corinthians. Beginning in verse 1, he says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about you to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, not to say anything about you, would they, they would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. What Paul is saying is, I don't need to write to you about this, but I will anyways. Okay, <laughs> you know, it sounds to me like the church in Corinth had disappointed him before, and he didn't want it to happen again. So it, it says, I'm sending the brothers to make sure you are ready. You know, what that sounds like, you know, he goes on to say, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers 
to visit you in advance to finish your arrangements for the generous gift you'd promised. Kind of like the Godfather, huh? Because he's going to send somebody there to make sure things are going to happen the way they're supposed to happen. Romans chapter 12. Paul's talking about our service to the Lord. How it is different for different people. Okay, in Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, some people have the gift of giving. You know who they are. And maybe it's you. You know, I, I know we have found ourselves giving more than we have in the past. Okay, we've, we've tithed for years. But we're giving more to other things as well. So, you know, I'm not trying to blow my own horn here, but we're giving more because we're receiving more than what we had received before. And so God has been blessing us. And so we need to be able to bless others. And, you know, God is giving us those opportunities to be able to do that. Okay. We need to to give to bless others, whether it's a, a ministry whether it's a radio station, whether it's a server at a restaurant, we need to give more and not so we can be blessed, but so we can be a blessing. So let's look at what the author of 1 Samuel has to say about giving. <clears throat> In 1 Samuel 15, Saul had been told to wipe out the Amalekites, but Saul brought home the king the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and lambs and everything that was good. <laughs> the Lord was not happy. In 1 Samuel 15, 11, the Lord tells Samuel this, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Then we find Samuel confronting Saul for not following the Lord's directions. Saul was trying to convince Samuel that he had done as he was told. And Samuel, he wasn't going to have any of that. Okay, this is what Samuel had to say to Saul in verses 22 and 23. He says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Whoa. Okay, and they give it to you from the message. Samuel says, do you think all God wants are sacrifices? Empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing not staging a lavish religious production, not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. 
Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God's command, he says no to your kingship. Wow. That's like having the boss come in and tell you, you know, the the higher up said, you're fired. You know, you're out of here, dude. Okay, so does this mean that we don't have to give to the church? Uh, That would be negative. Because one thing that God tells us to do is to give. Okay, now if God had told Saul, he, he said, make sure that you bring back the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and everything that's good. You know, if he had told Saul to do that, then Saul would have been obeying. But he told him, wipe them out. Okay, every living thing that is there needs to be dead when you leave. Okay, so we need to give. And we need to give give while we're obeying, listening to what God says. Remembering one important thing in all of this is all that we have came from the Lord. It's all his already. So what is the moral of this tale? <clears throat> Excuse me. We are to support the church. Like Paul said in Philippians 4.19, this is from the New Living Translation. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Okay, we need to be supporting the church. We need to be supporting the ministry of our church. Okay, like it says in, in Malachi 3, I think first 10, okay, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And maybe next time I'll expand on that. But I want to end with something that I'm not familiar with. It's a hymn by Samuel Longfellow, who is Henry Wadsworth's brother. Uh, <clears throat> I guess you can't really call it a hymn. It's kind of just a little chorus because it's only four lines long. But Sam wrote this back in 1886. It says, Bless thou the gifts our hands have brought. Bless thou the work our hearts have planned. Ours is the faith, the will, the thought. The rest, O God, is in thy hand. That, my brothers and sisters, is the reason we give. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you give us the opportunities to give. And Lord, help us to be able to discern uh, what you want us to give to. Because Lord, sometimes we can be overwhelmed by needs and ministries and uh, things that are going on. So, Father, help us to to know where you want us to give our money uh, after we have given our tithe to your church. So, Father, believers are listening to to this. Lord, I pray that they get that message that we need to give. You've called us to give. You've given us the ability and the opportunities to give. And so we need to make sure that that's what we're doing. And Lord, you will bless us. Okay, we don't give to be blessed, but you will bless us. And if there's anyone that's maybe listening to this that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, let them know that you're so ready for them, that you've been waiting for them to to take this step and to turn their life over to you. And so, Father, let them pray like this.
Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for Jesus dying, dying on the cross for my sins, doing what I could not do for myself. Thank you that he rose from the dead and that he's coming again. Father, I, I know that you love me, and I know you want the best for me. So, Father, show me how I need to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.